Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Uh, we're continuing this series called Closer, and uh, the whole series is based on this belief that throughout the New Testament we find that Jesus had these different circles of people going from this kind of uh, crowd-like mentality that where people saw and, and heard from Him and then progressively moved closer toward Him. And last week, we talked about how uh, faith hears. Faith hears. Well, uh, today we're going to move closer in the senses to faith tastes, what faith tastes like. And so, we're going to jump into this thing, and we're going to be in two different passages, a little different today. We're going to be in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and it's interesting, two radically different groups of people had a very similar experience. And so, uh, we're going to talk about faith tastes. We, we are a people that uh, we, we are obsessed with food. I mean, are we not? I mean, seriously? I mean, we, we, we're talking about how good the last meal was. We're talking about how good the next meal will be. We plan vacations around where the right places to eat are. I mean, truly, this is, we're, we, we food trucks, restaurants, a 24-7 food channel. I mean, truly, food, right? I mean, by the way, did y'all know that when you stop at Krispy Kreme and the red light is flashing, did you know that you don't even have to chew the first six? Not, not that I have an experience with that. But I will tell you, the sugar buzz that comes behind it is a killer. You know, just watch out, right? I mean, if you are what you eat, I am a red flashing light. <laughs> but we find that food is a big deal in the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, um, if you want to look over in the Old Testament, go to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, Genesis and Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 16, we find this really cool thing, all right? Now, guys, if you would bring this, uh, bring this up on the screen so we can see what these circles look like. So, last week, we started with the crowd and faith sees, and, uh, and I mean, faith hears, and they kind of, you get to see and you get to hear Jesus from a distance. And then we start moving closer and closer and closer to the center of the circle, which would be the presence of God. Now, you may be here today and you have no relationship with God whatsoever, or the church may be this distant thing to you, or, or maybe you grew up in church, and man, just since then it was like, dude, that is not for me. You know, the, I just, the church thing's not for me. Welcome home. Just know, I mean, we're glad you're here. That we get that. I mean, we truly, we understand that. So there are a lot of us that are way outside on these circles and the crowds, and what I'd say to you is, whatever it is, don't feel guilty about that. I mean, I, I think there are times that all of us get that far out there. We're kind of on this kind of this roller coaster of, in, in our journey. There, there are times where, where we feel far away from God. I mean, don't you have times where you just think, man, I just, I, I could not get further away from God. I mean, don't you have those seasons? I mean, I, I do. I mean, I, I've got REV in front of my name, and I'm never supposed to be that. But I, I have seasons where I just think, man, I just, this is not working for me. And then usually I, I start inching my way closer and I get to the point of the 5,000. Now, it's interesting. The difference in the crowd and the 5,000 looks like this. I go from hearing what Jesus preached, and now at the feeding of the 5,000 and the story in Exodus 16, now I get to taste what he provides. 
Are you with me? I go from what he's preaching now as to what he provides. And this is the part most of us like. I mean, this is, this is the good stuff. This is like, ooh, what's in it for me? I mean, this, this works for me. And so we find two different scenarios in Scripture and these tons of connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we find this thing between Moses and Jesus, which, which for the most part, most of us never really put together, but we find over in Exodus chapter 16, here's the picture, all right? The, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they have been slaves to the Egyptians for years, for decades. Are you with me? And, and so they eat like slaves, walk like slaves, dress like slaves, act like slaves. All their life is their slave. And so Moses, God picks and says, dude, go rescue your people from the Egyptians, right? And so oh, Moses is like, no, not me. Somebody else needs to do that. And God says, no, you go, I'm going to give you your brother Aaron. He talks better than you, probably dresses better than you. Y'all go do this thing. It's going to be cool. But Moses, I'm counting on you. So Moses goes. He talks, you know, to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's get ticked off a few times. Finally, he lets him go, parts the Red Sea, headed toward the promised land. Are you with me? You saw the Ten Commandments, right? You're, you're up to speed? Okay. So Charlton Hedston, I mean Moses, he's on the way. He's on the way to the promised land. And he sends these spies ahead to go see what, what's this whole promised land look like. And about that time, they come back. This expedition force comes back, and you got some, you got some Debbie Downers and some negative, you know, Normans in the group. And they're like, dude, it, it, we, got, we got giants in the land. We'll never make it. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like a group of Eeyores came back from Winnie the Pooh, you know? We'll never make it. I mean, they're just whiners. And then you got, these, you got these guys, Joshua and Caleb, who come back, and they did something super smart. They brought some of the food from the promised land. And they came back and said, you are not going to believe how cool this is going to be. Of course we can take this land. This is what God has for us. It's a land flowing with milk and honey and taste these grapes. Booyah, this is unbelievable, right? And so, and so Moses, he's all about this. Remember, this is the same Moses who wrote from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, back in Psalm chapter 90, okay? And so he sends these spies out and they come back. And, and, but in the middle of all that, he is wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, this is, some, this is a dude who knows what time must be about. Between everlasting to everlasting, he is wandering for 40 years with whiners. Think of it this way. It is a 40-year journey from Atlanta to Destin with hungry elementary schoolers. <laughs> Mom, I'm starving. I was, I was speaking in Orlando yesterday afternoon, and I was supposed to be on a 5 o'clock flight on the way home, and my 5 o'clock flight, because the weather turned into an 11.30 flight last night, and my flight was filled with stinky people who'd been at Disney all day with all of their kids. <laughs> that is where people go when they die without Jesus. <laughs> Seriously, I, you could, this is what reverberated through this plane. Mom, I'm so hungry. You can almost feel the mom like reaching down and getting that last, you know, lifesaver in the bottom of the purse that's already gotten gooey and giving the kid and saying, here, shut up. <laughs> you get the picture? 
Okay, that's what, he's, he's, that's what he's listening to. And the Israelites are whining. I mean, at one point, literally, they say, Moses, matter of fact, if, if you just look at it, and this is, so, this is so ridiculous, in verse 2, in chapter 16 of the book of Exodus, it says, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out, and it sounds like this to me, when you brought us out into the wilderness to kill us with hunger. Don't you know Moses wanted to right then? I mean, seriously, aren't, aren't you glad there were no firearms at that point? right? Because Moses has got to have it up to here. Wait a minute. Okay, I went, I did what God told me to do. I brought you out of slavery, and all you can do is whine about food, all right? So later in chapter 16, God shows up and does this really cool thing, and so when we do this, it's like the feeding the 5,000, but it's happening to his people, but there's a difference. God gives them a meal plan, and it's called manna, okay? And so every morning, God has this white stuff that shows up and scripture says it tastes like wafers made out of honey. Could I just get a collective yum? Yum. Yeah, I mean, I hear that. You know what I think? It's either a fried shrimp po' boy or the red lights flashing. <laughs> God has shown up. This is good, right? And so, and so then they go on, but they, they just won't stop whining. I mean, God even gives them on the sixth day, says, listen, double portion so you don't have to cook tomorrow. You get to take the day off. Just do it all on the sixth day. You get to take the seventh day off. Over in verse 31, it says, and the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey slash Krispy Kreme. Warm. A cup of coffee. Mm. I mean, in the back of my mind, I hear Hector singing, bless the Lord. Oh. I mean, you got it? I mean, this is good. You got I mean, This is good. And yet they just can't get enough. They keep on whining. God gives them the first Title I school plan ever because, you see, they had such great need. Now, I want you to notice a few things that happened here. First of all, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt they became accustomed to the same old food. Now, now watch this. It's cool. In the feeding of the 5,000 over in John chapter 6, if you want to flip that way, and in Exodus 16 where God provides the manna, what we find is the difference in, in the crowd now goes from hearing and seeing to tasting and receiving. Are you with me? It's a different element. Now it's not just what it... I see him do for others, now it's what's happening for me. And, and let's face it, that is everybody's favorite subject, isn't it? You? And so they're, they're like, dude, I am all about this. But when they were enslaved in Egypt, there's something interesting that happens. They were accustomed to the same old food. They were used to slave food, and they grew used to it. They liked it. Remember when you got married and you showed up at your in-laws for the first time and you sat down and the rhythm of the meal wasn't the same and somebody broke out dumplings and you thought, that is not dumplings. <laughs> or you go there for the first Thanksgiving and you're used to how mom made the dressing 
and somebody freaked out and made like sage dressing and you were like, whoa. Or like you're from the South and you wound up in Pennsylvania and they made some gross stuff called oyster dressing. It's like, what is wrong with you? I'm not on the foreign mission field here, dude. I want gravy. <laughs> right? I mean, they were used to one style of food. And, and you know what? They were used to slave rations. But you see, this place of the 5,000 where, where we begin to experience Jesus, we don't just experience him and we don't just experience God in the distance. We don't just experience him as proclaimer. We now, they are experiencing God as their provider. Just like Jesus did in the feeding of 5,000, the Israelites are experiencing God as a provider. Look, I've got a, I got a different kind of food. I've got a whole new diet. I mean, the first thing was they were used to what they used to eat. Now they, now they have a whole new diet. They've got manna. And then suddenly the security of slavery to them is more powerful than the freedom of what's new. And so they start whining and griping, and this must be God's fault. I've been ticked off at, at him, and Moses, you're the first one I want to I pick on. And then the third idea is that when the Israelites entered into a land of promise, they found a food that they never knew before, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, don't miss this. When God gave the Hebrew people, when God gave the Israelites manna in the wilderness, to keep them going. In the story of the feeding the 5,000, Jesus didn't keep it going. I mean, the meal plan God gave the Israelites in Exodus 16 didn't stop. It just kept on coming until they got to a land flowing with milk and honey, right? But over in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus changes. So if you flip over to John chapter 6, now we start finding a whole different story. And so in John chapter 6, here's what we read beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy food to eat so that all these may eat? <laughs> and thus he said to test him, for he knew what he'd do. And Philip said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient to do all this. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, the, here, here's a dude with five barley loaves and two fish, basically, you know, muffins and a couple of sardines. What do we do? And of course, we know the rest of the story. Jesus blessed it and he broke it and he fed 5,000 men and a few thousand women and kids. And when it was left over, they had all this food left over and the people were like, wow, that was so cool. And you know what they wanted? They wanted more of it. Because all of a sudden it was different. It wasn't, it wasn't the rations they were accustomed to. It was a whole nother kind of food. As a matter of fact, when you look at this, we, we find several things that, that happen here. In the story of the feeding of 5,000, folks focused on the multiplication of the food. But the biggest miracle is what happens on the other side of the multiplication. The biggest story is what happens as Jesus completes the story. We focus on how Jesus took two sardines and five muffins and fed 5,000 men and a few thousand women and children. We think, okay, now that's cool. But Jesus makes a bigger deal about saying, it's not about the gift I'm giving you. The bigger deal is the one that's giving you the gift. Are you with me? He says there's a bigger deal. Don't be settled. Don't settle with a meal 
I, I, I don't want you to settle until you have a new life. Don't settle on a new meal. Settle on a new life. Don't be willing to settle for what makes you full today and you'll be hungry soon. He, he says, I, I got a whole nother perspective here. So in verse 15, they decide after receiving their fill, literally the scripture says they're going to make Jesus king by force. I mean, how oxymoronic is that statement? I'm going to make you king by force. And when Jesus hears that and knows that, he skips town and he heads out. And then what happens is they go find him. They, they go to Capernaum where we were at with those of you that went with me to the Holy Land a few weeks ago. We, we were right there. So he goes over to Capernaum to try to get away from what these people think they want. And Jesus, over in verses 25 and 26, says, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, he says, you're acting like consumers, not worshipers. You only want me for what you can get out of me. You don't really want me. You just want me to give you something else. Which is a lot like how we treat God in many ways. It's like, God, you know, I, I want a salad today, but that banana pudding looks killer. I'll take a little of that today. And it's kind of like that Florida, Georgia country song. I mean, we cuss on a Monday. We pray on a Sunday. And we segment our life and say, wait a minute, you know what? I'll, I'm going to be a little godly today, but come tomorrow, the real world's going to hit. And, God, and Jesus is saying, don't settle for that. There's more to this than that. I, I want to give you something that matters. Bottom line is, over in verse 27, it says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Jesus is saying, don't settle for something that just is going to make you full today. I, I've got something that will change your life forever. I've told you a story before. I'll never forget the, the, the day I made a really bad meal. And I was, I was I, I mean, Jenny and the girls got home. And I, 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 mean, I, I put the dinner out. And I mean, it was gross. It was a gross meal. All right. But I was proud of myself because I, I mean, I busted. I went to Publix. I did my thing. You know, I bought all this stuff. Jenny's looking at me like, I'm going to kill you right now. But so, so we sit down. We're sitting there at dinner. And I'm looking at Jenny. I'm going to say, what do you think about dinner? I'll give you about three more minutes. Hey, how's dinner? Finally, baby, what do you think about, I mean, Chuck brought out the dinner. Come on, really? And I'll never go, she, she looked at me, so you know what it met a need. <laughs> what? Met, are you kidding me? So I dig in and I thought, eh, it may not have met a need. It was pretty gross. But, you know, it, it met a need. We were hungry for the moment, but let's face it, we didn't do that again. You know what I mean? You know, here's what happened. In Exodus 16, God met a need in the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and whoever eats will never be hungry, and I am the living water, whoever thirsts will never thirst again. And Jesus says, I'm not going to meet a need. I'm going to make a life. Come on, that's good. Jesus says, you don't eat something that you're going to have to eat more of tomorrow. I'm going to give you something that's going to change your life. It's going to rock your world. I mean, he looks at that and not catching what Jesus was saying, and it's still stuck in their old appetites. The 5,000 said something else to Jesus. In verses, beginning in verses 31, it says, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, 
I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Are you beginning to see that this really isn't about food? Like every teaching Jesus has in the New Testament, it's about your heart. It's about saying, it's not that I want to walk through the cafeteria of Jesus and take a little of this because it's Sunday. It is that I want the one who made the meal. I want the one who is the meal. I don't want the gift. I want the giver. I want it all. And you know what Jesus says? You can have the whole meal deal. I mean, it's not even just biggie size. You get everything. You say, well, what kind of bread is this? It's a true bread, full of life. I mean, can you see how far they missed it? Don't settle for the gift. We can have the giver. I mean, what about us today? I mean, what can we learn from these stories of these two groups that clearly missed the mark? They, they, there are a few things that do stand out. I mean, our normal life just keeps us accustomed to the same old food, just like the Israelites. We're just accustomed to one way of life, and so we get in a rut and we stay in it. We get in a habit and we stay in it. We get, we get into an addiction and we stay in it. We get into a relationship, and, it's, and, and as miserable as we know it is, we stay in it. And we, just, we fight our way through life and we just kind of stink it up, and instead of tasting a whole new diet, we settle and say, yeah, I met a need. And Jesus says, but you can have a new life. I mean, but, you know, I look at that. Peter, over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he calls that way of life the empty way of life. Man, I, I don't want to wake up tomorrow to an empty way of life, do you? Dude, I, I, I need a whole new way of life. I need to wake up and know there is purpose and rhyme and meaning. I know from everlasting to everlasting, God is there. He is waiting on me, calling the best out from us. Finding freedom means it's a new diet. That's why we offer all these adult groups that will start in a few weeks for you to get away from your recliner and your remote control and watching one more episode of Rizzoli and Isles and be able to get with a group of people and dig into Scripture. To turn Fox News off long enough to stop listening to Hannity and listen to God. And be able to say, wait a minute, I, I, can, be, I can have a whole new diet. Yes. And you can have a diet that will do more than fill you up but will give you a new life. You say, well, Chuck, I want that. The new life that he offers, this new food, this new diet, only God can give us. He can, he's the only one that replenishes our soul. Most of us have an overwhelmed schedule, don't we? Don't most of us just have an under-overwhelmed schedule? You know, what, you know what I've learned in my overwhelmed schedule? I have an underwhelmed soul. And the only thing that satisfies that is more Jesus. Not more of his gifts, more of him. More of his presence and more of his power and more of his provision and more of his goodness. More of him. I mean, this Christian life, this Jesus life, is, is, is not only lived in a new way, a powerful way, but it's fueled by a new food, a new kind of nourishment in our life. Jesus made it clear in, in John chapter 6, verse 30, then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Living this Jesus life isn't about some new doctrine. It's not about joining some country club. It's not whether you join a church. It's between you. You pick 
am, do I want to settle? Because anybody can settle, but why be anybody? When I, I don't have to have the meal, I can have a new life. I don't have to have something that, that'll do. I, I can have something that's one. I, I get to have everything. I get the gift and the giver. I mean, simply put, the uncommon king, Jesus, wants to become the most common, regular diet of our life. Where it's not odd that he is the center of our life, but it is the norm. It's a new diet. Just like your physical diet, you get to choose the spiritual diet. And in those choices and in those moments, you choose to what degree you draw closer to God and he with you. You see, God's not the obstacle between you and being closer to God. It's your diet. How much of Jesus do you want or do you just want the gift? I mean, most of our prayer lives, I know mine, you know what my prayer life often sounds like? God give me, God do this, God I need. What if Jesus was just enough for us today? What, what if the meal plan he offers us is eternity and joy and peace and fulfillment and I can get the gift and the giver? I mean, God loves you so much, he lets you choose your diet. How much of Jesus do you want? And that'll determine how close you are to him. You say, well, Chuck, give me, one, give me one more quick thing I can walk out of here with. Okay. Are you tired of your life just meeting a need? Or do you need a new life? Do you want to meet a need or do you want every need met? Do you want to be full till dinner? Or do you want to be full of Jesus forever? I mean, at the end of the day, in Exodus 16... God met a need. Over in John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That meets every need. Both of them came down to bread, and one of them came down to life. And you pick. Jesus is either enough or he's not. You 